Hey, good evening. My name is Ben, and I'm a grateful believer in recovery for alcohol. Thanks. Can you guys pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, for your grace and mercy. Thanks for the trials that you've allowed in my life and for really bringing me to a point of desperation. Um, I praise you that you have brought salvation to my life and so many others. And I ask that uh, you would be our courage, my courage, my joy, and my strength tonight. Please teach us that which we ought to know this evening. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the New Testament book of James in the Bible, it says in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials. And for much of my life, I would hear stories and accounts from people um, that spoke of trials, how God would allow something to take place in their life, and then miraculously, God would allow them to overcome it. And secretly, I would long for that to be true of my life. It seemed to me that they had issues, but they no longer have issues. And truth be told, the harder I seem to try, the issues, the trials never seem to go away. I still seem to have them. And perhaps that's what I'd like to communicate maybe the most tonight um, through this testimony is that I didn't just, it wasn't that I had issues in my life, but rather I'll admit to you that, that I have issues in my life. My testimony seems to be one of those living documents that God is writing each day. Um, each month, each year really is a new chapter. And just when I think I have it figured out, God has to write something new or something different. James chapter one continues to say, verses two to four, consider it a great joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And trials and testing and the word endurance were words that I thought resonated with my life growing up. I grew up in Tracy and Manteca with three sisters, and I realized pretty quickly that I needed some friends or cousins to hang out with because none of them enjoyed sports. None of them wanted to play football or baseball or ride skateboards or wrestle. But my cousin and his friends, who were a little bit older than I would, was, did enjoy playing sports. And so as much as I could, I would hang out with them, doing my best to keep up to be as fast or to be as strong as them or to be as gifted as they were. And I remember thinking, one day I'm going to be as good as them. One day I'll be able to beat them. And that's what I started to do from an early age, trying to be better than I was, challenging myself how to try and have it together, not fully realizing why. And it was also with those friends that I learned some other things as we grew I learned what it was like to drink alcohol for the first time. That even though the taste was terrible, I loved the way that it would make me feel. I also learned the fear of being found out and having to try and cover things up. Strange that even as a junior higher, you would already, or I would already begin to experience those same issues that would plague me my entire life. In fact, it was in junior high that things got really strange. I experienced the divorce of my parents, and I also experienced losing a loved one for the first time and my grandma. 
And of course, at that time, I didn't realize the great effects that it would have on my life. But I can see now that those issues would cause me to live in a life of fear. I began to believe that the world is not safe, that life is not secure. Therefore, I felt I needed to be worried. And I battle with that fear of life every single day. Even though I wanted to overcome that fear, even though I wanted to endure it, I could not. And so from junior high, all through high school, junior college, I lived in a life of fear. I tried the best I could to excel in sports and standing amongst my friends and others. But no matter how hard that I tried, how much I would endure or overcome in life, at night, I was left all alone to my own thoughts. And by myself, I was terrified. I did not know how to overcome that fear. Going back to James chapter one, it continues to say in verse five, now if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously and without criticizing, and it will be given to him. I wish I would have understand this passage of scripture 25 years ago. I, I struggle to understand it even now. But God allows trials in my life in order for me to endure so that it can produce endurance and fullness in life. But when I don't understand why I'm going through it in a trial or even how to overcome it, James says that I'm supposed to ask God for his wisdom on why and how to walk through it or even how to walk in it. But instead of asking God for wisdom as a very young man in high school, I started doing whatever I knew to do in order to overcome that fear. I would pursue drinking with my friends. I started chewing tobacco, hiding a can under my mattress like you might hear in country songs. <laughs> Silly to even say out loud sometimes. But you know what? It did not help me. It did not help me become less fearful. It only added to my fear. But it was also in this time that God brought someone into my life. I went over to a friend's house one night and really God took it from there. I met a gal and not long after that, I started to date this gal and she would be and still is my wife today. Yep. Thanks. In fact, we'll be celebrating 25 years of marriage this year. Um, so pretty great. And suddenly when I was around this gal, uh, I wouldn't be too fearful. The fear would subside a little bit at least for a little while. As we started to date the next year, I would find myself already fearful of her liking someone else. And even later in our marriage, I would be afraid of her leaving me for someone else or for some reason. I could not shake the fear, the fear of everything and anything. It sounds strange. I was even sharing with my open share group a couple weeks ago that there'll be times throughout the day when I'll be fearful or thinking and worrying about something and I'll forget that which I was worrying about. And I would spend 10 or 15 minutes trying to remember what I was worrying about. <laughs> but God continued to write his great story. Aim, my wife, girlfriend at that point, asked me one day if I'd like to go to a winter camp with her. A church camp. And sure, I thought. So I went. And as I've shared a number of times, that we can change my life. It changed my eternity. The speaker at that camp spoke about how God designed everything, how God designed each of us. He spoke to the fact that we are sinners, which is missing the mark of perfection. And that sin separates us from God. It separates me from God because he's perfect. 
Not that God is disgusted with us, but rather perfection cannot mix with imperfection. That would go against perfection. I understood it best I could as a high school student who struggled to even graduate. But God did not just leave us to figure out how to fix or mend that relationship. He decided to send the son Jesus Christ to this earth to live a perfect life because we cannot. So Jesus did live this perfect life and then died on a cross for our sins to purify us from our imperfection, to make us white as snow. But he didn't just die and was not just buried in the tomb, but he rose from the dead, proving that his death does have the power to redeem or purchase our lives back. All we must do is respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting in our life and receive that free gift of salvation by saying, God, to the best of my ability right now, I believe in your son Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Make me into the person you have designed me to be. And that's what I did 29 years ago in Cold Springs, California. I asked Jesus to save me. Why? Because it spoke of hope. It spoke of security. I knew so very little as a high school student, and I feel I know just as little today. But I couldn't try to measure up to what others were thinking or to what the world might think I should be. God seemed to be the answer that I was looking for. And that day, God did change my life. But as I said at the beginning, I still had, and I still do have issues. The process of me becoming like Christ has been a lifelong journey. James chapter 1, verse 12 goes on to say, A man who endures trials is blessed. When he passes the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. So now a new time of life began for me. I was a Christian. And with that same passion and zeal I had to be better than others when it came to sports, I wanted to be a great Christian. I wanted to excel and become a great example for others and help them understand God's plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. As a senior in high school, I heard and responded to God's call of ministry on my life. And I started reading and learning as much as I could while at the same time starting to work in a church. And the next few years, they were up and they were down. My wife and I got married not long after high school, and we were heavily involved working and serving in the church. I had thought that since I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior and was working in full-time ministry, that my ability to follow God and do the right thing would become easy. Every person I saw in the church seemed to have things all together. But the fear I had before knowing Jesus was still there. I would struggle deeply with my internal thoughts. And some of those thoughts were, am I really a Christian? If I was to die right now, what would God tell me? I had a fear of being found out that I'm really not that good of a guy. I had a fear of failing or making mistakes. A fear that my wife would leave me. A fear that I wouldn't make enough money for my wife or to support my wife and kids. I was afraid that people would know that I don't have the answers, that I'm unqualified for the position that I was in. And to top it all off, I was afraid of being honest with someone about what I was feeling and thinking, for that would change their perception of me, or so I thought it would. I've already hinted at the drinking aspect of my life, but let me explain it a little bit deeper now. During those first four years of ministry and marriage, I would drink when I could. We would rarely have alcohol in our home. 
But there would be occasions when we'd be with other people or folks would come over and we'd have the opportunity to drink. And it was never about enjoying a drink for me. It was always about getting to a point when I would not have to worry or fear the things I could not control. I couldn't have told you then. I can see it now. And all of those moments in my life as a Christian were opportunities for me to seek God's wisdom in dealing with situations and trials. But instead of seeking his wisdom, I sought my own. I gave in to my own fleshly desires, the temptation that came from me and the world, and it never brought freedom and never brought fullness. In 2000, I took a position at a church in the East Bay. It was a new start, a different place, different people, different rules. Matter of fact, one of the parameters of being on staff is that drinking was not an option. And so I thought, this is perfect because I can't drink and I'll never have to worry about this being an issue again. So for four years, I did not drink. My sponsor now tells me sometimes that we don't have a drinking problem, Ben, but you have a thinking problem. So true. Even though I did not drink, I always thought about it. We would be at events and I would see someone drinking something and I thought, man, that would be nice. God did great things in and through our lives. God never makes mistakes. We are always in any place by his design, which sounds strange, I know. But even when I choose myself over him, Somehow he uses those moments to teach me something, even if I don't get it till later on. In 2004, things began to change. One of the parameters was changed for our staff. Having an occasional drink was classified as normal. So then began the drinking. What turned into an every now and then thing became more commonplace for me. It was never just one. It always had to be at least two or three It was never about the taste. It was always about the way it would make me feel. My wife, who has always been much wiser than I am, would struggle with how I would drink. She would say to me, you know, it bothers me. She was being polite. She was trying to say, you have a drinking problem then. But instead of listening to her and seeking to understand why it bothers her, I would have resentment, thinking that if she just wouldn't give me that look anymore or wouldn't keep count, that I'd be fine and I'd figure it out on my own. We then moved to Lathrop where I took a position at a church. And this is where things really began to change for me. My experience and ability in ministry was becoming greater and greater and my role was becoming bigger. As with any job, your proficiency grows the longer you've been doing it. But while God seemed to be doing great things at the church and through our lives, the desire to drink was also becoming greater. There were so many opportunities I had to share with my wife and other people, the battle that was taking place within me. But instead of sharing it with others, I chose to keep it hidden because of my fear. And in doing that, my drinking became hidden. I would hide bottles in the garage, always making sure to keep my tracks covered. It was exhausting. One evening, my wife caught me drinking. And somehow things went back to normal for us. The issue was never dealt with, though. Then one day, I decided to stop. I was tired of dealing with it. I was tired of keeping it hidden, and so I did. For 10 years, I didn't drink anything, but all the fears were still there. All the internal battles were still taking place. God led us to start a church in Tracy, and for seven years, I led that church. 
It was exciting. It was exhausting. It was terrifying and it was fulfilling. He did good things, but I always felt that he did good things in spite of me. I would teach out of fear, touching on the fact that we all have issues. We all have struggles, but never going too deep out of fear that my standing before people would change. And ultimately, that's what became a great struggle for me. I was more concerned about my standing before people than I was about my standing before the Lord. And even though I would not drink, I thought about it all the time. I struggled with chewing still. I would long to do things that would quiet and calm the fears that I had. Then in 2018, something different took place. God led me to step down from ministry. And after many hours and days and months, it seemed of praying, Aim and I decided it was the right move for us. And so I resigned. And for the first time in my life, I was not involved in ministry. That also was exciting and terrifying at the same time. I started doing only construction. And although it was nice not having the pressure of ministry, my sense of self-worth began to decline. If it was not my job to lead people to Jesus, I would have to do that simply out of what he's doing in my own heart. James chapter one goes on to say in verses 13 to 15, no one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Not being in ministry was another moment in my life that I had the opportunity to seek God's wisdom in the situation that I was in. I sought my own. Rather than looking for healing and understanding, I sought to comfort myself and my fears. I told AIM that I think I would like to try drinking again. And that was a bad idea. It was right back to the way that it was before. Always drinking to fuel the alcohol so I did not have to deal with my fears. But one July evening, just six months after stepping down from ministry, I got home from work and I sat in my truck and prayed, God help me to lead my family well. To do a work that only he could do. I was trying to seek God's wisdom instead of my own at that moment. And God did answer that prayer, but not how I wanted him to. God allows trials for me to endure, for us to endure, to seek him so that we will be mature, complete, lacking nothing when it comes to conforming to the image of his son, not him conforming to my image or to my own desires. That's the perfect nature of God. He works things out to his own will. It's always the right way. Hard to digest, though, during the process. I walked in the house after praying in my truck and I said, you know what, let's go to dinner tonight. Why? Because I wanted to have a couple drinks. Isn't that crazy when you think of the progression that just took place? I just prayed for God's wisdom. And instantaneously, I turned back to my own sinful nature and give in to the temptation, seeking my own understanding, my own wisdom. How unfaithful I am at times, but how faithful God is. Anyways, after telling my wife that we should go to dinner, she said something so small and so innocent. She said, hey, what's this charge in our charge account? What's this charge in our checking account from Discover? It was God answering my prayers immediately. Now I can see that, not at that moment. It was a chance for me to come clean with my life, 
to share with my wife that I used the Discover to pay for some things, that there was a little bit of debt, that I struggle with self-worth, that I struggle with drinking, that I struggle with chewing. Did I do that? No. I gave a temptation again. I chose to lie. And again, my wife is a pretty intelligent gal, and she saw right through the lie. So I had no other option at that point to tell her about the debt, the drinking, the chewing. And it was a, is this the first time in our marriage that that had taken place? No. But it's the first time that it took place and something had to change. Otherwise, there would be dire consequences. This was the first time that God allowed me to feel the bottom, to see the bottom, as it talks about in the big book. A few days later, she and I sat in the backyard talking, and that which I feared all through our marriage was something that was seemingly on the table. Not divorce, but the possibility of separation. I was not in ministry, which was something that I would hold on to, something that would help me think, I'm not really that bad of a guy, am I? God is using me to teach people about his son. That was gone. My wife, the one I love, my best friend, New things could not be dealt with the way that we used to deal with them, sweeping them under the rug. It was devastating. The presenting issue of trying to make ends meet with the credit card revealed the deeper issues that I had a secret, hidden problem for many years. One of my biggest fears that I haven't mentioned yet because I was afraid to admit it was that I was an alcoholic. And in that moment of desperation, when I prayed that God would help me to lead my family well, he allowed me to go through a time of brokenness. I wanted the quick fix without being found out. He knew that would not fix anything. His ways are not our own. The big book also says on page 343, what I was most afraid to admit was what would set me free. I did not know what to do, so I sought out a friend and he said, you need to go to celebrate recovery. And in my mind, there was sheer panic. I thought, please don't take this the wrong way. And you shouldn't because I'm here and celebrate recovery. I thought, oh no, I'm that guy. I'm the one with the problem. I'm the guy the church is trying to reach. Wait, this is not how things are supposed to be. I'm supposed to be the guy that reaches guys like me. But I went. I walked through those doors over there. Scared that someone would know me. Scared that my wife was going to leave. Ashamed that I had let the Lord down. I experienced the joy of large groups singing with people here. Someone talked. It was either Pastor Scott Stubbard or Scott Miller. I can't remember that aspect of it. Then I went to the first-timer groups, and I couldn't even believe I was walking in there. It was like that out-of-body experience, you know? Josh was there. He was kind, willing to share his issues. And then all of a sudden, I started talking and saying that I struggle with drinking. I struggle with chewing. I lied to my wife. I've been living a life of deception. And you know what? No one gasped and said, oh! They said, thanks for sharing. We're glad you're here. And the next week, I started going to open share. It was in those open share meetings that others began to share their own stories. 
And it was as, as if they were sharing my own story. God ordained it that a step study began shortly after, and so I joined because I was desperate. And it was incredible. I learned what it means to be a real man, willing to admit my hurts, my habits, my hangups. I took responsibility for my life and my actions. And I began to fall in love again with my Savior Jesus. His word, the Bible, came alive once again. God allowed an incredible man to become my sponsor. He was patient, willing to listen to my ramblings, my constant question of, what next? What's the next thing that has to take place? And he said, just be patient, Ben. The answers will come. The miracles will happen one day at a time. I shared with him a thousand memories. I saw in those memories how, how much alcohol played a role in my life. I shared my fears. I saw my fears and my defects of character. As someone recently shared with me, my learned behaviors. And after the step study, I started trying to give back because that's what we're supposed to do. I started facilitating and I was completely content with that. My wife and I went to counseling, something I thought and hoped I would never do, which is totally ironic today. I shared my testimony here one night about a year ago, which was super frightening. And doggone it, I'm doing it again tonight. Yeah. But I say, I say super frightening for a reason. Because at the beginning, I mentioned that I would hear people share stories about how they had issues in life, how God allowed them to overcome them or how God allowed them to be used for his glory. While I thought it was a great thing for them, I never wanted to admit that I had issues that God needed to overcome. And throughout those trials in my life, I would fail often to ask God for his wisdom. Instead, I would seek my own wisdom and understanding. I felt that admitting that I have issues would lessen my standing before people and disqualify me from ministry or from God using me. Sometimes I like to hear from people at church that they had issues, but I can struggle and have a hard time listening if they have issues. And celebrate recovering and counseling, we get to hear from people who have issues. We get to hear from people, and I get to be one of those people who speak from a place of brokenness. I'm one of those who has issues. It's exciting because it's real. It's frightening because it's revealing. I have the chance to speak and share from a place of vulnerability. That's a healthy place for me to be. I'm grateful for this place, for this ministry. I'm grateful for both Pastor Scott's, my open share group, my step study group, my sponsor, my sponsee. I'm grateful to my wife, my kids. It's been two and a half years since I've had a drink or 882 days or something like that. But even greater than that, um, I have people that I can call when I'm thinking about, man, it'd be nice to have a drink. Or when I start thinking thoughts that aren't godly. I can share with my sponsor and people that I meet with and tell them I still battle with fear. Fear of not measuring up. I meet with the counselor, still in hopes of trying to figure out why I tick the way that I do. It's not that I once had issue, rather it's the truth that I have issues. God allows me to go through trials so that I can endure them and be complete, lacking nothing. Not lacking what the world or what I think I need, but not lacking whatever is necessary in order for me to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the beauty of God. 
That's the beauty of recovery, the beauty of counseling. God loves us. He loves me too much to leave me in the state that I am. He desires that we look like Jesus. His ways are wonderful. They're mysterious, but they're always right. First timer, keep coming back. You're not here by accident, but by the design of the Lord. Second timer, hundredth timer, everyone else, keep coming back. He will continue his good work because that's what a perfect God does. Thanks for letting me share.